Welcome once again to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is uh, Nati Davis. Nati is a consultant from Liberia who served as chair of the National Investment Commission of the Republic during President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf administration. Prior to being on the chair, he served as Minister of State without portfolio, during which time he also served as Senior Advisor to the President on Economic Management and Governance Frameworks. Nati also served previously as Deputy Minister at the Ministry of Commerce and Industry and as Coordinator of the Ministry of Finance, Economic Financial Management Committee. I have the pleasure of simply calling him my friend. Nati, welcome uh, once again. Thank you, Sheila, and, and good morning to, to you and to everyone who may be listening to your podcast. Fantastic. So given your uh, involvement in, in trade promotion issues, I thought we could talk about mineral value addition and value addition in general from the perspective of trade. So let's just start at the beginning. What is the relationship in your mind between value addition and investment policies? Essentially, I mean the two. He uh, said the, the two are symbiotic. Okay, to a large extent, uh, you need a conducive overall investment policy that uh, provides the kind of incentives incentives to, for businesses to invest, and then uh, through that, uh, part of then um, uh, what will happen as a result of that is then your value addition policy, but your value addition uh, 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 policy and those things that it promotes requires investment in a number of other areas as well. Infrastructure, uh, infrastructure is key because for instance, uh, uh, energy uh, is a major uh, consideration. Transportation is a major consideration. Warehousing is a major consideration. Uh, so those things there are things that are factored more in consideration in your overall investment policy. And then uh, you invest in those other things then that would enhance uh, value addition uh, investments from the private sector. All right. So um, does that suggest then that there is a logical sequence between uh, creating that environment and then advocating for mineral valuation such that one comes before the other, and we, if so, what comes first? Well, there is certain there is certainly a, a, a logical sequence to that. I mean, let's let's recognize now when we talk about uh, minerals. Minerals are uh, to a large extent extractive, and those are uh, 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 um. Uh, resources that are are, are not uh, uh, you, they're non-replenishable uh, resources, so they will run out. Uh, you want to then have in place a policy that recognizes that at the beginning your minerals your minerals will be exploited, and in most cases exploited where they are extracted and shipped. But you want to also create the environment that you gradually then build a value chain down the road that would lead into uh, value addition of different aspects of, 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 of that mineral. I mean, uh, if you take something like Liberia is, is, well, is well endowed with iron ore. Now, if you take iron ore, uh, they're not a substantive number of value addition 
uh, uh, considerations that you would see with the iron ore itself, but you would see value addition in terms of those different inputs that goes into the production of the iron ore, the iron ore process. Uh, but you need a broader investment policy and strategy that recognizes that from a standpoint of government, it's not only a policy, but then it's the investment in those different things that would enhance, support, and mitigate risk to the investor. So definitely the investment policy uh, comes ahead of the value addition for the mineral sector or for any other sector in terms that you're looking at uh, with respect to value addition, even if it's uh, in the agriculture sector. Mm. So I guess when you say the investment that the government makes, it, it, it is that investment, isn't it, Nati, that uh, leads to the creation of the conducive environment. In other words, the conducive environment in some cases requires those kinds of investment to first be made by government in order to create the environment in which investment can find a home. Would that be correct? Exactly. I mean, every all governments must recognize that they are at the pinnacle. They they set the they set the direction. Uh, investment policy has to be clear. Uh, it it has to be transparent. Uh, it has to be uh, as you say, reliable. For instance, I must know that as part of uh, your policy and some of the regulations, there's clarity as to procedures, uh, that there's not one procedure if I go about it this way and there's another procedure if I go about it a different way. That's the first thing. Secondly, the investment policy must recognize that uh, the private sector businesses uh, have their shareholders and are driven by a profit motive. Okay, that is the process. They are driven by a profit motive. But you, on the other hand, because as the country, you possess the natural resources, you want to see those natural resources develop and exploited in a way that expands and enhances the opportunity for your citizenry. And in terms of doing that, then you look at you the, the policy then is taking into consideration the entire value chain and then the types of infrastructure investments that are necessary to facilitate some of that. As I said, energy, uh, it's a major consideration. Transportation is a major consideration. Human capacity, investing in education of your people so that they are at that, those kinds of skills level that can fit into some of those value addition chains, uh, 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 chains as they begin to occur. Those are all of the, the requirements that the state needs to, to, to uh, fully invest in to see effective value addition outputs coming forward. And that is the goal. Yeah. So you made an, an, an important point, which is that countries must first recognize the type of natural resource they have and what the kinds of investments are that are necessary or, or associated with the value chain. And you use iron ore as a case in point, which is both bulky and therefore requires uh, rail uh, and then port. And then of course, if you wish to then process into steel, 
a huge amount of energy. I wanted to to spend a moment talking about that because, of course, Liberia is part of a geological belt that is very well endowed with iron ore between uh, Liberia, Guinea-Conakry, and then Sierra Leone. We've talked now about policies that address uh, a, a particular country. In a case like the Mano River region, where you have this uh, iron ore belt, where do we strike the balance then, uh, not between national policies and unlocking that sub-regional value in terms of, uh, say, iron ore? That's that's a, a really, really, really very good question, uh, Sheila. Uh, we we have not done a very good job in terms of in the Mono River Union, uh, particularly uh, in the direction of of uh, some of the strategies that 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 bring about um, private sector growth. Uh, the Mono River Union, just like ECOWAS, the, the majority of those efforts have been either at the political side uh, and not sufficient enough attention at uh, some of the investment private sector growth side. And I say that to say that, just as you pointed out, when you take Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea, you have a, a substantial amount of uh, deposits. But given that this endowment is around real uh, uh, around iron ore, and as you point out, iron ore essentially you're moving bulk, you're moving rock, and so it's it's a <clears throat> sorry, it's it's a logistics. Okay, it's essentially a logistics business. You're breaking rock from a mountain. You you're further uh, uh, disaggregating that rock where you're taking the the key ore bodies and you're loading it on a train and you're taking it at. Uh, 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 a location where there's a port and then you're loading it on a vessel that's taking it somewhere else in terms of uh, uh, producing it and taking it to the next level. Now, really one strategy that we've talked about as uh, Mono River Union countries and we've never been able to get beyond the political process is recognizing that investments in the rail are something that we should not be leaving to the iron ore companies. We should have set up rail, a, 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 a regional rail authority that makes the kind of investments in rail infrastructure, okay, to stimulate, to enhance further growth of uh, exploitation of the iron ore sector. Why? Because while there are large deposits that can warrant the uh, uh, investment by the mining company in their own rail infrastructure, there are smaller deposits that will never get exploited because they're too small to uh, attract their own infrastructure, their own uh, investment in in rail, and therefore uh, will not have the opportunity to be exploited. But those are areas that all three countries would be able to further benefit from. So rail infrastructure is something that should be at the pinnacle in terms of our strategy as far as how those investments happen, then to leave it to the mining companies. That's one thing. Now, iron ore, as you point out, uh, the, the, the key um, value addition there is steel and steel production. Well, steel production has uh, 
substantive requirements with the cost of investment, the size of investment, the energy demand, and some of the inputs. One, one of the significant inputs that goes into steel production, I understand, is of course the potash, which is not a natural resource in any of these countries. And so those are inputs that you would have to bring in to fulfill that process. But the potential for steel production in this region is significant. Hmm. It truly is significant. But as the Mono River Union, the Mono River Union has never been able to get beyond the political considerations to really then dig further down into the investments considerations and the instruments or not just not the instruments because a number of those instruments yes some have been ratified but to move beyond those instruments to the actual articulation and the implementation of the the, the elements of those instruments yeah so you you've uh, touched on something uh, actually a lot of things first of all the fact that uh, political leaders uh, think uh, from the perspective of a country because they get rewarded for what they do in the country and not in the region by being elected. And so there's always the tension between what economically serves the region and the projects uh, versus what serves uh, the country from a political perspective. And I think in the natural resource space, the, the failure to strike the right balance is a big challenge. But the other thing also that you spoke about, which I think is little understood, is that many of the mineral substances are very, very rarely uh, processed and turned into goods in uh, their form without mixing with others. Uh, you can refine gold because there is just a refinery project. You can cut and polish diamonds. But when it comes to metals, you are creating alloy. And, 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 and I think this is another rather difficult thing for governments to wrap their minds around. Isn't it, uh, Nati, that they don't realize it's not enough just to have iron ore, you need others. And, and, and I wonder to what extent that impedes our ability to um, add value because of this failure to recognize the fundamentals. Well, as you said, of the failure to to recognize the fundamentals, I mean, there's a long list of the whys. If, if you take specifically in the case of Liberia, I think we have this uh, rentier mentality uh, that uh, uh, governments, successive governments I have seen over the years have been satisfied to collect the royalties. And as far as they're concerned, they don't have to concern themselves with um, the complicated issues with respect to, uh, 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 you know, infrastructure, de-risking, investments, and all of those kinds of things there. Uh, the uh, public officials, they, they, they satisfy that there's government revenue that may come in. And as a result of those revenues that may come in generally from royalties uh, and maybe uh, various taxes, withholding taxes, um, and some in some cases, uh, profit taxes, but a lot of the mineral uh, companies from what we've seen historically very rarely pay profit taxes because they very rarely claim profits because, of course, uh, they continue to claim that they've made substantial investments over time in those infrastructures that are necessary to be able to extract the, the iron ore. So it's critical that 
again, as we get more, as we get public officials in government that we try to educate them more, educate them more as much as possible. So there is that understanding that there's much greater value if we begin to think about those other elements that go into that and how from a public perspective, uh, we can stimulate the kinds of investments in those things outside of just the mining companies. The mining companies will invest, okay? But you also have the opportunity to blend. For instance, if you take a, 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 the, an iron ore project that needs a rail, you can blend what the mining company will do and what the government can negotiate with the development finance companies to also enhance that. And so that rail is not the ownership is not in is not owned by the mining company, but is owned by a separate rail company or rail authority or managed by a rail authority. And therefore, it has the, the opportunity then to have value addition, not in terms of the iron ore, but value addition in terms of the rail, because then you can use the rail for other purposes. You can use the rail to move logs. You can use the rail to move cargo. Okay. You can use the rail to, 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 to move petroleum products. So that's value addition right there. Once you invest in, in, a, in, in a rail that's not exclusively at the disposal of the iron company. Mm. So here you are, you, are, you are making an important distinction between adding value to the mineral itself uh, in contrast to adding value to the economy using a mineral project. Because I think... Uh, People come exactly. to uh, here, if you then say, right, we have this project, we will build a rail, the project becomes the entertainment, uh, which means that this is now a, a if you wish, a, a commercially viable project. Then the, you're adding value using the project as a flywheel. When you then take the ore and you process it so that you enhance its unit value and therefore get more revenue, that's a different story. So I think, Nati, that a shortcoming of the mineral value addition policies is that they don't make this distinction between where value lies and why. There's just the, this generic sense of value addition, but it lacks specificity. Am I right, uh, Nati? Uh, yes, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I think that, that some of the, the challenges and, and I, I keep that too, if you talk about really just within our region in the, in the Mono River region, uh, you don't see a lot of uh, private sector actors, people with, with the deep history from the private sector that actually begin to find themselves within government and, and at the level of uh, policymakers, whether at the uh, 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 parliament or uh, in the executive. And so we you continue to see uh, people coming in that lack a, a, a private sector or a growth lens. Uh, and as a result of that, you 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 don't see some of that thinking that a little bit more broadly and, 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 and creatively, I think, some of that is occurring. It, it, hope, it could occur a little faster, uh, but some of that is occurring. And um, um, as a result of that, uh, maybe over time we might begin to see it. But yes, I think uh, the iron ore 
which is what we are well endowed with within this region, there is also value within that logistics uh, 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 a part of it that can further grow uh, your economy. And just as you point out, where you see the uh, iron ore investment as the tenant or the anchor investor, but then there are also other users that would be able to pay for the use of that transport, for the use of that corridor. And, and, and that then uh, unlocks additional value in your economy, because then uh, from your investment policy and your, where your investment policy then recognizes at least those basic tenants, then you have value addition that will come from the logging sector. You have value addition that will come from the trading sector. You have value addition that will come as a result of this enhanced trade that then would have uh, 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 light manufacturing that would begin to occur. Uh, so yes, it does have significant uh, put economic potential. Now the Africa uh, mining vision, um, again, from, from the standpoint, from a continental perspective, ha uh, has come up, of course, that was taken at the OAU. And the idea is try to, to push that mining vision within countries to domesticate uh, some of those thoughts and ideas within the in your various countries. Uh, it is had limited. It's had different results in different countries. In Liberia, I haven't seen a significant amount of uh, 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 impact from there. But uh, we have to continue to try to to, to move that forward. Absolutely, uh, I think what is uh, you know this importance of uh, governments investing in in infrastructure. It seems self evident. Uh, because it's easy to see how if you build a rail and a port, to your point, you're facilitating what is really a, a, a bulk logistics uh, services infrastructure. But of course, the other thing is this, if governments build the infrastructure, they immediately reduce the cost burden on uh, the mineral developer. That has the intended consequence of doing two things. One, it means that the revenue to the state will be greater because they don't have to deduct the cost of infrastructure. The other, of course, means that to your point, where you have marginal deposits that could not carry that burden, suddenly the economics of those mineral deposits change and you can then attract uh, investment in what would otherwise not be uh, you know, economically feasible areas. And, and so th there really is something to be said about interrogating these factors and, and taking a view, not just on a project by project basis, but also on a country by country basis, because th there is no one value addition policy fits all. Would that be correct, uh, Nati? Definitely, definitely. I mean, there, there is, you know, you have in the iron ore sector, you have really uh, three or four major uh, um, players and, and they, they dominate uh, the sector. I think they carry close to about 70% a 70, 70 of the iron ore trade in the world. Uh, and uh, again, they have a certain mentality. Uh, and part of their their mentality, of course, has been they 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 of course their goal and their interest is to protect uh, their market to protect their market share, uh, 
and uh, uh, ensure that uh, they are as much of a dominant player within a country as they can be. And governments must recognize that. This is part of their business strategy. The government must have its own strategy vested in its investment policy. And its investment policy must uh, uh, be clear that, yes, we want for you to invest, but we have a, a, a strategy that will allow you to uh, develop and extract your iron ore, but different elements, the infrastructure are not going to be uh, at the exclusive domain of your use is going to be for additional uses. And because that is what we want, we are prepared to invest in that process. Not that we're telling you, oh, you, we want this and then you must do it, but we are prepared to invest in that process. Uh, one of the things that happens with again these large major players, of course, they can they they can develop that infrastructure. They borrow from themselves, and so they can borrow really at at zero uh, cost. Okay, but uh, when we talk about transfer pricing, when we talk about debt to equity ratio, some of the things that we've seen that have occurred in the Liberia mining sector. Liberia has been in iron ore mining for more than seventy years now. Uh, We've seen historically where uh, uh, they claim that they borrow from themselves at rates higher, way higher than what would have been liable plus, okay, where they're borrowing from themselves. So those are things that we would call um, uh, 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 transferring uh, um, uh, uh, transferring resources internally. And uh uh, when the Ellen Sirleaf government came in, uh, in some of those negotiations, we tried to put limits on uh, debt equity ratios and all of that. But even with that, even with that, there's still a lot of opportunity to actually encourage uh, those players to invest in uh, separate infrastructure projects that I said the government uh, 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 pro pro takes financing it, they provide financing in, and also other equity partners may provide financing in because that particular investment would be a profitable investment given the potential of various users to pay fees for using that particular uh, uh, asset. Hmm. So, um... <laughs> I'm I'm thinking here that um, many governments uh, that are endowed with mineral resources uh, quite rightly see the mineral as a starting point, but also as leverage. Uh, but is there a risk in governments overstating their case or overplaying their cards here in assuming that it is de facto a seller's market when negotiating? Uh, with investors and threatening to ban exports? Is there a risk here uh, that we might disincentivize investors? Oh, yeah, they, they, there's there's always a risk. I mean, um, as I said, the, the big three, the big four, uh, if, you know, they, they can walk away, okay, because their assets are all over, uh, their, 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 their investment assets are all over the world. So if you believe that because you may sit on a particular deposit that uh, you're in a position to just totally 100% dictate as a government, you're absolutely wrong. You must recognize that you're coming in and uh, uh, you're negotiating 
the exploitation and the use of an asset and you're trying to find a, a point where it's beneficial, okay, to you in terms of a government and your people, but also to the investor. And you must be prepared uh, to, to give up something in order to get something. And if, you, if your attitude is, oh yeah, well, you know, because I have the resource and I can just dictate, I can demand, no. Um, there, there's no resource in any of the countries, especially I know, that uh, uh, any of those major players can't walk away from because they have assets throughout. Uh, sometimes, also, governments must recognize what exactly is the objective when um, when one of the majors come and say, "Oh, they're interested in exploiting your this particular iron ore asset." You must ask yourself, uh, "What are what are some of their objectives? Are they looking uh, to get this product to market within the next five years, or is it something then that they acquire this particular uh, uh, asset? Uh, they sit on it." Uh, so that is there and it it, it begins, it, it becomes part of their reserve situation that they're able to utilize uh, years down the road as they deplete uh, existing uh, uh, um, uh, deposits that they've already built infrastructure to be able to get those products to market. So those are all things that governments must and the government actors should understand as they sit down uh, to hold discussions with uh, uh, these different uh, uh, mineral development companies. Mm -hmm. Here's a last question. We, we are now in a, a period in which uh, the industrialized North has classified certain minerals critical for their transition to clean energy. Does the critical nature of certain of these minerals change any of the policy and investment dynamics that uh, we have spoken about, uh, such that governments either have or lose an advantage? Well, again, that's interesting. I think the whether it's 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 a critical uh whether like it's it's been um determined that for instance uh for lithium or lithium is a critical uh resource because of its inputs down to um uh they hold a, a, a energy sector and and so forth uh, it still comes down to your investment your investment policy is evolving it's it's not static and so as these things change in terms of the the critical nature of this particular uh, mineral or that mineral and how then is the demand exists within the world then there uh within uh the different elements of your broader investment policy there are strategies that alter and change as a result of that, making sure that your ultimate goal is to be able to achieve the best development paradigm for your country from the public, public policy perspective and as a public official. The investor is coming to the table, yes, with a different sense of urgency, with a different sense of perspective, with a different sense of uh, exactly what's the value of this asset, but you yourself, as a government, you're looking at uh, with this new uh, paradigm, with this new dynamics, how then do we continue to ensure that it becomes, uh, uh, it, 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 it supports the whole development paradigm of our country. I just recently learned that Ghana has just concluded uh, an agreement for the uh, exploitation of lithium. 
uh, and uh, how how that has been set up. Interestingly, the notes that I read from uh, one of our colleagues, you know, in the different chats and was saying, oh, you know, Ghana has done this and everything. And it listed some of the elements of that and said, well, you know, we really need to, Liberia really needs to do that. And then I directed them. I said, no, Liberia has those as a policy. Okay, if you go, I, so I directed, I said, go and read Liberia's uh, mineral and mining law. Go and read Liberia public procurement law. You will see that those things are there. What ha has to happen then is then from that policy perspective, how well ha do we continue to, to, to make that work in adding value, in uh, 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 driving growth, and in improving the well-being of Liberians? That's fantastic. Well, uh, Nati, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Palmer uh, Extractive Podcast. I enjoyed our conversation as always. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate uh, you considering me to be a part of this uh, uh, noteworthy activity that you do. <laughs>